Right, if you take your Bibles over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Mm. I'm going to read four verses, one through four. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, like the sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Mm. Let's take a minute and pray. God, we thank you for your word that's true. And we thank you that it's fresh every time we break it open. So we thank you for the bread of heaven. And we come to feast on it tonight. We come to sit with you. I ask that you would release a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to understand and empower us to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <laughs> now, we're going to see where we're going to land on this thing because I have so much in my heart and I'm, I'm just trying to get the sense of where the Holy Spirit is going. But uh, I, what's on my heart specifically here tonight that uh, I feel like we're going to go after and we'll see how it kind of all pieces together. But uh, it, it's something that's really close to my heart and it's the topic of revival. Everybody say revival. revival. Now, as we get into this, I want to give you permission for something that uh, I, I don't know your background or where you're coming from, but I want to give you permission. It might uh, be a little bit strange for you, but I want you to just hear what this has to say. In Acts chapter 10, we just read about Holy Spirit falling on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 10, we have something else happening, and uh, it is the Holy Spirit being poured out on the Gentiles. If you look at verses 34 to 36, it says this, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ he is Lord of all. Now let me skip down verse 44. So just a little bit of context here. If, if you know the, the Bible, then you know Peter had this dramatic encounter with God, this open vision where he went into a trance. This other guy he named Cornelius, he has an encounter where the angel comes and speaks to him. And uh, in Cornelius, this angel comes and tells him, your prayers and your alms have gone up before God, and because you've done that, you've opened up a bridge to the whole Gentile world. It might relate to what you shared earlier, right? So he has this encounter. He goes over to call this guy Peter over. Peter comes over. He starts to share the gospel. So I just read a little bit. You can go back and read the whole context for you. But he starts to share the gospel with him. Then you get over down to verse 44, and it says, While Peter was still speaking. Everybody say, still speaking. speaking. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening 
to the message. The Holy Spirit didn't even wait. Here's Peter. He's preaching his heart out, talking to these people, and the Holy Spirit's like, eh, that's enough. (laughs) You know, he didn't wait for like an altar call. You know, Peter didn't count to three. Nothing. Like he was just preaching along, and then the Holy Spirit fell. Here's the reason I'm saying that, because I'm going to be talking about the subject of revival. There's something stirring in the atmosphere And I think that you guys are sensing that, and I want to feed into that. There's no telling what's going to happen tonight. It all looks nice and neat right now. I don't know what it's going to look like by the end of the night. But I'm just saying there's something stirring in the atmosphere. And what I want want to release over to you today is that while I'm preaching, if you feel God touching you in some way. Now, what I mean by that is you feel like electricity going through your body, or you feel like uh, you, you start crying for some reason, you don't know why, or you just feel like uh, you feel heat coming over your body. God is touching you in some way. I'm going to ask you to do something dangerous. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and come and stand up here. Uh, I've asked my friend Joseph here, he's going to help me out. I'm going to keep preaching but I want to agree with what God is doing because he's the one that's in charge. And so if God is touching you, he's doing it on purpose. And so what I want to tell you is don't sit where you're at. Come up to the front. You're not performing, you're not doing anything. All you're doing is going to come up here and stand. And I'm going to keep preaching, but I want to agree uh, in prayer while I'm still preaching with whatever God is doing in you. So if while I'm going, the Holy Spirit's like, for that person, ah, that's enough. Then come on up because God wants to do something in your life, all right? Hallelujah. All right, so just, just know that's okay. You don't have to wait to the end. If you're like, I don't want to wait to the end, don't. Okay? Don't wait to the end because God is doing something in the environment. He's making sure that he is in charge. I believe that we are on the brink of an unprecedented move of God. Now, we should be seeing things that build upon each other. There's this idea sometimes where we're looking over to past revivals kind of as the benchmark of what God can do. You know, everybody wants to be like the early church. But I would suggest to you what what God's heart is, is that the church goes from glory to glory to glory to glory. And so the actual design is that the previous moves of God become our floor. The things that were their ceiling become our floor. And so it's not us looking back saying, I just wish I could be back there. It's not looking back saying, that's the best that God could do. No, maybe God's got something this day that's never been done before. Maybe God's going to pour out his spirit in our day in a way this world has never seen. I believe that there is an awakening coming across this planet and God is looking for hungry people. God is looking, he's positioning the church to get in on this deal. And I believe, I I think I see the signs around that there's some hungry people here. I think I'm seeing the signs around, even in the songs that are being sung, that God is stirring something within the hearts of people here. And I think that God is going to take us from glory to glory. I don't know what it's going to look like, but there is something. I want to tell you, one thing I feel like God is going to do in the area of revival is he is, you know, in the past when we looked at revivals, one of the things I was emphasized was holiness, right? If you're familiar with uh, revival history, holiness has been a big thing that was preached along the way in the minister, but I feel like God is going to bring holiness from a fresh perspective. You see, in the past, holiness 
has been presented as a standard to show people how far they've fallen. And I preach this way, guys. Listen, I grew up around revival. This is part of the reason why I'm going to tell you some of my background here in just a minute. But I preach hellfire and brimstone, man. I could preach it with the best of them. And I, that's part of where I came from, part of the, the history there. And if you look in, in church history around revival, that was a common way of preaching. But here's the thing. What I believe God is going to be doing in the days ahead, there's going to be a holiness revival but it's not going to be by, let me show you the standard that you're not meeting. What it's actually going to be about is you're, there's going to be a consuming fire of God's love. The Bible says that God is a consuming fire. And I believe over the next several days there's going to be consuming fire coming on our lives. And He is love. Somebody say love. love. There is a consuming fire of God's love that envelops us and transforms us into who we were created to be. You see, you were made by love in the image of love to become love. And so that when you are filled with love and become who you're created to be, then holiness becomes the fruit of that transformation. It's not about trying to look at standards and check off boxes. It's about transformation. It's about becoming who you were made to become. And there is a baptism of the fiery love of God setting us free from who we were never created to be so we could be fully alive, so we could become love. Why? Because love fulfills the law. When you become love, holiness will be its fruit. So I believe that's one thing that God is going to be doing across the land. Now, what? What I'm also attentive of is that you find some people who have experienced a move of God become the ones who resist the next move of God. And that's because of how we've defined it. Because we've defined revival based off of what we've experienced before. And so when God wants to do something different, then it doesn't meet my definition, it can't be. All right? Now, I want to unpack this in a way where we can be receptive to what God wants to do in our day, in our region. Because I just told you something about holiness. I just told you something about this love of God. But I also don't want to put what God wants to do in a box either. Because maybe God wants to do something here that's never been done before. There's so much of us in Christianity where all we're doing is duplicating what somebody else is saying. We're just trying to replicate what we've heard somebody else say or do. We're waiting for permission to have some type of thing that we can do. What I want, I'm not saying that we can't learn from people and we can't be inspired by people, but what I am trying to say in this is you don't need to wait for somebody else to show you what's possible. You can have an original idea. I'm talking about everything. We wait, wait for ideas of how to do outreach, what songs to do at worship, how we can do something in a service, what's possible in our region. We just read books, go to seminars, find out what somebody else is doing. Those are fine to a degree until we put them in a place where now we're not hearing from God from ourselves. Now we're waiting for somebody else to hear God for, for, on our behalf. The problem with that is maybe God wanted to do that in their region and God wants to do something else here. 
Maybe what God has done in other regions, even with outpourings, even with revival that's happened in other places, maybe God wants to do something else here. Maybe it looks completely different. I'm just saying we need to understand God's heart about revival so we can recognize it and understand our partnership, what we play, the part we play where it comes to revival. You see, I grew up around revival, so that's a passion of mine. I, uh, I don't know if you're, how familiar you are with revival history, but there was a revival in America in Florida called the Brownsville Revival. Uh, the pastor of that church, John Kilpatrick, married my dad and mom. He was the one who officiated their marriage. I grew up uh, around that kind of thing. And I, I was also in an environment where everywhere I went was either a church that had experienced revival uh, or one that was pursuing revival or had been greatly influenced by revival. So all the places I grew up. And then I end up working at Global Awakening that exists because of revival. I pastor a church. My wife and I pastor together, uh, and the church meets in Global Awakening. And so we, we're wrapped around this whole thing about revival. And it's not just being around revival, but I have received many prophetic words about revival. We had some of them you guys wouldn't know, uh, but maybe some of them you would. I don't know. But um, there's a prophet named Jamie Galloway. He sitting in a service one day, minding my own business. He's called me out of the congregation and said, you're going to receive an invitation and revival's going to break out. I was in another meeting and somebody named Randy Clark called me out. And uh, he, this was, I think, six years ago, something like that. Maybe a little longer now. And he said, you're going to receive an invitation, and revival is going to break out. Hallelujah. And it's going to be remembered for a generation. Yes. I was in Kenya, and uh, my wife was helping with uh, worship at a conference. And the speaker there was David Wagner, the prophet. And he asked for the pastors to come up. He wanted to pray for them. And my wife talked to him later, said, I didn't go up to get prayer because I was helping with the worship team, but could you pray for my husband and I because we're pastors? And he said, yeah, I'll do it sometime during the conference. And he's like, okay. And uh, so conference goes on. Well, that was like the first night, right? And the conference goes on and on. He doesn't pray for her. And uh, then... On the last night of the conference, she goes home. She's, at that time, we had one daughter, and it was needed to get her to bed. So she's at home, and then all of a sudden, she starts getting all these texts. David Wagner's prophesying over you guys right now. We weren't even there. I'm in Kenya, and she's at home. Thankfully, we got it on, we got it recorded. Uh, but in this prophecy, he names our church, tells us what our church vision is about. And uh, he didn't know it. And we had never talked, and that, that was the only conversation that Micah, and I, Micah had had with him. I hadn't met him at all. And uh, then he says, in the, in the process of that, he said that God has marked you for revival. Listen, it's not my fault. <laughs> I grew up around revival. God said, I want to do revival through your ministry, through your life. It's not my fault. But because of that, 
I began to take revival seriously. It's not just a nice idea, but God's heart is behind revival. He's the one that keeps saying these things. He's the one that keeps talking about, I'm going to send a revival. I'm going to send a revival. And there's a stirring that's happening in the air. And it's going to be all across the land. It's not going to be just one church in one place. It's, there's this outpouring that's coming across the world. And we are just stepping into that. But I don't know where it's going to break out, where it's going to start. But it is there. it's like the atmosphere is pregnant. And it's about to burst. And so I began to look into revival. God, what is your heart? What does it mean? How do we know we have revival? You see, I found the topic of revival can be confusing for people. Because, listen, I, I wrote down some of these. When we come to revival, people define it in different ways. Some people, revive, they, they define revival by once a year they have revival meetings. Bring a special guest in. Wednesday to Sunday, there's your revival meetings. It starts on Wednesday, ends on Sunday. Revival's done after Sunday. That's your revival meetings, okay? Uh, then you have other people, they think that they define revival by a mass amount of people getting saved, giving their life to Jesus, okay? Then you have other people that define revival as like uh, having multiple services where everybody's you know, going to church every night for years on end. They have other people that define revival by a healing service. I remember I was invited to minister in a church, and uh, they said we're hungry for revival, and it became very obvious with me pretty quickly they weren't hungry for revival. They wanted a healing service. But that's how they defined revival, okay? And interestingly enough, along the way, as I'm looking into this stuff, I find other people that have defined revival as a living the supernatural life. And so if we're praying for the sick out in the public or we're having angelic encounters or prophesying over people, then that is revival. That you have, you have revival in you, you just need to release it wherever you go. And so you have to find it that way. Okay. I'm hoping I can set the record straight here that revival is a lot bigger than all of those things. Okay. It, and many of them should be included. You know, if, if there's a revival, I would hope the church services are fun and people want to be there. If there's revival happening, I'm hoping there's miracles happening on the street too. It's not one or the other. It's yes to both things, okay? And what we've got to understand is that revival historically is not just those things. For example, you have uh, Azusa Street Revival in California, in America, you have people that didn't know that there was a thing called revival happening, and they would get out of a train and encounter the presence of God, fall on their face, and cry out to Jesus to save them. They weren't in a church service, and no one told them. And people got off places. That, it was like they came into some type of region, a circle around the area, and when they crossed the line, they got healed. That's more than me praying for somebody. That's more than having services. There were services that were happening, but it was like the environment became a place where people encountered God. Revival is bigger than what sometimes we have done it. And, and I feel like there are some people in my generation that, uh, you know, I grew up, I told you in the, the South, they have this phrase, 
of people getting too big for their britches. And it means kids that are trying to act like a grown-up and they don't know what they're talking about. And uh, I feel like there's an area of revival in my generation where we've, gotten, we've judged previous generations. And we said, all you guys did was huddle up in a service and you met every week and you're the problem with the whole church because you should have went out on the streets and did something with it. And I want to repent on behalf of my generation for that attitude. I don't know what I would have done. You see, when God shows up in a place, it's holy. And what God did in one generation may be what God wanted to do in that generation. We have to make sure that we don't judge previous generations when we don't know what God was saying and we weren't there. And we want to make sure that our hearts are open to honor. Because when you honor those who have laid down their lives for the gospel in the past, then you're able to reap what they have sown. Let me say it this way. When you honor somebody, you release the anointing that they carry. See, Jesus is always Lord. But when you honor him as Lord, then what he carries as Lord becomes activated in your life. There are things that people have broken into and broken open for the church in the past. And when you honor what they have done, then you enter into their labor. You enter into what they broke, broke open for the church. And so I want to release honor to where we've come from. I've heard people standing in global awakening, judging the previous generation, not recognizing that the very building that they're in is because somebody said yes. So we need, I want to kind of redefine revival for us in a way that's big enough to hold what God wants to do. You guys okay? All right. Come Holy Spirit. We love you. In this journey, I'm going to show you what I redefine it as. I'm going to show you what to the indicators here. But what I felt God show me was confirmed in a conversation I had with Dr. Randy Clark. Because many times our services have more supernatural activity than services that are recorded as historic revivals. And so I've seen previous revivals, ones that are on video. And in our normal services, we may have people that have metal in their body that either disappears or bends. That's pretty cool. And you have a, a high majority of people that get physically healed, a lot of people that come to Christ. So I sat down with Dr. Clark one day and I asked him, how can you tell the difference between a good service that's just normal for us and where revival is about to begin? And he outlined for me the things that he looks for, and it lined up exactly with what God had been showing me that we need to understand about revival. That's what I want to unpack for you tonight and show you what those, because the, our definition of it is really important. So listen to this carefully. Revival begins 
with a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit marked by an unusually high spiritual activity on a relatively small group of people that most of the time have been praying for God to come in a powerful way. Let me say this again. Revival begins with an outpouring. Everybody say outpouring. outpouring. It begins with an outpouring on most of the time a small group of people. Think about the day of Pentecost. You got about 120 people. Think about the Toronto revival. Again, you got around 100, 120 people. Most historic revivals start with a small group of people that are getting together. And, it, and there's an outpouring of God's Spirit. And it is an unusual uh, heightened spiritual activity accompanies it. So, for example, one thing that Dr. Clark told me, he said if he's in a service and he's praying for people and they're getting touched by the Holy Spirit, that's normal. But he says, if I'm praying for somebody over here and people over here all of a sudden start getting touched by God, it catches my attention. There's something unusual that's happening. Now, the reason I'm saying it this way is because we're making room for it to look like whatever it's going to look like. There is a heightened spirit. There's been historic revivals that were Bible studies, that were prayer meetings that spread across entire cities. And there were other revival meetings that were groups of people getting together and praying nonstop for years. So they, we need to make room. It's unusual. You recognize this isn't a normal service, this isn't a normal activity, but there's something else on this thing. And most of the time you find that that outpouring on those small group of people that have been praying and seeking God, believing God's been speaking to them, most of the time it starts with what I call a spark. An, an outpouring starts with something that happens. So let me read to you one. Here I have a book. It's called Revival Fires. And I'd recommend you look it up online and buy it. I don't, I don't carry it, but I recommend you look it up sometime. But listen to this in Argentina. It's a guy named Edward Miller, a Pentecostal missionary. And he tells a story about revival starting in Argentina. And during this time, a megachurch in Argentina was about five people. All right. So he felt God told his small church to pray every night from 8 p.m. until midnight, beginning on Monday. And their group prayed. And it doesn't say it in here, but I've read in other places that him and one other person in the small group were Christians. <laughs> so they, they all stayed there out of honor of the pastor saying it, but he was, him and one other person were actually Christians there. That's what I, I read somewhere else. All right. So they prayed silently. Can you imagine praying from 8 until midnight silently, <laughs> night after night? Why? Because they're not saved. They don't know how to pray. <laughs> so they're sitting there silently for hours. No one seemed to have any leading of the Holy Spirit except one lady felt led that she was supposed to hit the table. You guys know the story? couple people? No? Okay, you haven't heard the story. Okay. Um, but she wouldn't do anything so strange. You know, God wouldn't want me to do something ridiculous. God never tells people to do things that don't make sense. He always gives them an exact plan 
And everything he tells them to do is, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Unless you read your Bible. And you find out, nope. Let's walk around the building quietly for seven days and then yell at it. That'll work. Right? Here, you know what? I'm going to make some spit, and I'm going to make some mud, and I'm going to spit in it and, and make some mud and put it on somebody's eyes. That'll heal them. I'm going to raise my stick over the water, and it's going to part. You know, anyway, when you read your Bible, you find out there are things that make perfect sense from God's perspective that don't from ours. That's why we need the mind of Christ. So anyway, she's feels supposed to hit a table. And the fourth night, so she told them this, but she's like, I'm not going to hit a table. That's dumb. And the fourth night, Ed Miller led the group in singing around the table. He's like, I got an idea. Let's all go around the table. We're all, we're all going to hit the table. Because this is going on night after night. Anybody got anything? Silence. You know, they don't have iTunes. They don't have, you know, people up there playing. It's just them sitting quietly praying for hours. It makes it last even longer. <laughs> it does. Pray out loud. So he's like, I'm tired of this. We're going to stand around in a circle, and we're all going to hit the table because this lady won't do it. And he doesn't know. She's the only, thing, only one getting something, and she's not a Christian. <laughs> I might mess with your theology a little bit. You know, God gave one of the most incredible revelations to a king named Nebuchadnezzar that's in their Bible, period. Like it's the most incredible revelation in the Bible, and he wasn't a Christian. God is speaking to people. You didn't become a Christian without God talking to you. God's given ideas to unbelievers, and somebody needs to show them, you know, that was God that showed you that. Anyway, just a side thought. All right, so he led the group singing, and they hit the table as they sang. Eventually, others did the same. So he hit the table, and they all went around and started hitting the table. Then the lady did. Immediately, the Spirit of God fell. Now, this is small. This is like five people. Outpouring begins on a small group of people, most of the time with a spark. When she hit the table, it split in half. They were all baptized powerfully in the Holy Spirit, and they heard the sound of strong wind. The little church filled. People started coming in. People were getting convicted and weeping and praying without people saying something to them. By Saturday, teams were going out in powerful evangelism. Teenagers were weeping in the street. Doctors mocked them, but then listened to their testimonies and were convicted. They knelt in the street and gave their lives to Christ. Two church members visited a lady whose mother was paralyzed in bed for five years. They prayed for her, and she got up. And drank tea with them. Two elderly people visited a man in a coma and a cripple with a liver, liver damage. When they prayed, he was instantly healed. Hallelujah. Many times, revival starts with a spark. It starts with an outpouring. And that outpouring starts with a spark. Something happens. There's something unusual that happens. And then, listen very carefully, people recognize that it's unusual and honor it. When they honor it, it grows. 
So we had here that one example where it grew and people started getting touched by God all over the place. That's good, just stand there. But people began to get touched by God, giving their life to Christ all over, right? It started with this one event. They honored it, and it grew. You have that happen on Pentecost where there was a group of people. They honored what God was doing, and then it grew, right? And so here's what we got to make sure we understand. Some people think that revival is something that just happens to them, that revival is something that... Um, is so sovereign that they don't have any part in it. And then when they don't recognize that they have a part in it, then they don't understand that something happening and continuing and growing can be in relation to their interaction with it. And so I talked with Dr. Clark about this, and I said, uh, I was asking him these questions I told you, and he said one of the things he noticed, he he said he's been in churches where uh, revival could have happened. There was an outpouring that took place, but it did not grow into a revival because the people did not respond correctly. Holy Spirit, I agree with what you're doing right now in Jesus' name. More God. All right. Yep, that's him. So we begin to recognize our responsibility with an outpouring. Now, I would, I would suggest to you that revival doesn't begin as revival. Revival begins as an outpouring. The outpouring begins as a spark. And most of the time, that spark happens on the fuel of prayer. Wow, there he is. Yeah, more Holy Spirit. So here's what Dr. Clark said, that he, he looked for unusual spiritual activity to happen across the room. And then he looks that people don't want to leave. In other words, they're honoring the presence. They recognize something's unusual. When God shows up, you don't go, well, that was a nice service. You go, I don't want to leave. This is heaven. Or if I leave, will it be the same? That's why you end up having extended services, not because you put it in your calendar, but because people don't want to go, because they're hungry. There is something happening. Okay? And he said the next thing he looks for is that people come and they invite other people. Again, that's honoring what's happening. Then the presence grows. You see, an outpouring grows into a revival. Because people honor the outpouring. Some people honor the outpouring by spontaneous prayer meetings. Some people honor outpouring by having more meetings. Some people honor the outpouring by hitting the streets and praying for people. Okay, but people honor the outpouring and then it grows into something more. And then at that point, when others begin to hear about what's happening in other regions, and they come and bring their own stick and put it in the fire and bring it back with them, that's when it turns into an awakening. Yeah. Holy Spirit, I just invite you across this room right now in Jesus' name.
whatever you want to do. That's him. Increase it. Increase it. Increase it. God. More. 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 Let me read to you someone's encounter with God and I'm going to be I'm going to end this message. It's a guy named Charles Finney. Let me read to you his encounter. This is from his journal. He said, by evening, we had the books and furniture adjusted, and he, he let a, a person leave his place, accompany him to the door. And he says, as I closed the door and turned around, my heart seemed to be liquid within me. And my, all my feelings seemed to rise and flow out. I wanted to pour out my whole soul out to God. The rising of my soul was so great that I rushed into the room in front of my office to pray. There was no fire and no light in this back room. Nevertheless, it appeared to me as if it were perfectly lit. As I went in and shut the door after me, it seemed to me as if I met the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. It seemed to me that I saw him as I would see any other man. He said nothing but looked at me in such a manner as to break me right down at his feet. It seemed to me a reality that he stood before me, and I fell down at his feet and poured out my soul to him. I wept aloud like a child and made such a confession wow, as I could with my choked words. It seemed to me, yeah, that's him, that's him, more Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, God touching people while Peter was speaking from God's perspective was decent and in order. It was his idea, right? Maybe we need to redefine decent and in order if it was God's idea. Listen, it continues. I must have been in this state for a good while. My mind was too much absorbed with the interview to remember anything that I said. As soon as my mind became calm enough, I returned to the front of the office and found the fire well, I had made of large wood was nearly burned out. As I turned and was about to take the seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm. Without any expectation of it, without ever having thought in my mind there was such a thing, without any memory of ever having hear, her, hearing the thing mentioned by any person, I might need another catcher. <laughs> Somebody get behind Joseph here. Holy Spirit, come. Yeah. 
without any memory of having heard it, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. This is Charles Finney from his own diary. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love. There he is. There he is. For I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. That's him. Thank you, Lord. More. I can remember distinctly that it seemed to fan me like an immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was spread abroad in my heart. These waves came over me and over me and over me, one after another, until I remember crying out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear it anymore, and yet I had no fear of death. I'm almost done reading. That night, a member of the church came. He was amazed to find Charles Finney, a former skeptic, in a state of loud weeping and unable to talk to him for some time. The young friend left and returned with an elder from the church who was normally very serious. When he came in, Finney observed, I was very much still in the state that I was in when the young man went out. And he asked me how I felt, and I began to tell him. Instead of saying anything, he fell into the most spasmatic laughter. <laughs> this is in church history, folks. Wow, this isn't just from the 90s. Now, it's interesting. You have in your Bible that there were people gathering around at Pentecost and they accused those that were there of being drunk, right? Now, I've never heard anyone that spoken in another language and thought they were drunk. I think they're intelligent. Well, they know more than one language. I can barely speak mine. It's not because they were speaking in another language that they were accused of being drunk. It was because of how they looked. It's not my fault. That's what's in your Bible. Don't we want more than religion? Come and check things off. There he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so this guy who's normally serious comes, and he falls into this laughter. Charles Finney has this encounter, and he goes on to be one of the greatest known revivalists that's known in our current day and age, right? We can't make revival happen. Let me say that again. Because we say the word revival doesn't mean it's happening. We can't make it happen. It's not a sign or a billboard. But we can make him know he's wanted. You know when somebody wants you. If I saw Joseph and I was like, hey. He'd be like, 
hi. But if I was like, Joseph, it's so good to see you. See, he automatically puts his arms out. You know when you're wanted. You know when somebody's excited. And don't think for a moment God doesn't know when he's wanted. We can come to service. We can sing the songs. We can hear preaching. We can give. We can do all. We can go through all the motions. And we know if we are doing something in a way from our heart that makes God feel wanted. He goes where he's wanted. Don't you? I'd hate for our church service to be where God shows up because he has to. It's your weekly prison. No, it becomes an environment. When you gather, Jesus said, when two or three gather in my name, I am there. What does it mean to gather in his name? You ever thought about that? I would suggest to you that it has to do with us actually wanting God to be there. I'm not going to church so that I can check off I did it and hope I don't go to hell. I'm going with expectation. Because where the body is, there's life. Somebody once asked me, can I be a Christian and not go to church? I said, well, you can cut your finger off and still call it a finger. But it's not going to grow. Where the body is, there's life. Come together for life. Yeah, Holy Spirit, come. There's something stirring in this region. God is doing a work. And as we are wrapping up this message today, I want us to understand we can make God feel welcome by laying our lives down at the cross. Total surrender. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We don't serve Jesus so we can have our way. It's not a 90-day money-back guarantee. If I don't get what I want, then I'm taken off. We lay, we lay our lives down at the cross. Get off the throne of our own lives. You are Lord of my life. I'm in this for your glory. You happen to be good, and it's not my fault you are. And I'm not going to cut off your goodness, but I'm not serving you. So I experience your goodness. I experience your goodness because you are good. So we lay our lives total surrender by obedience and by pursuing his presence in worship and prayer, honoring his presence, cleaning up any areas in our lives that are not pure. As I close out tonight, I just want to ask a question. Who wants him? Who's hungry? We got one in the back that's hungry. Who's hungry?
don't have any music playing. Not because music's bad. I just want to ask you a question. Who's hungry? <laughs>